Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. We go again to Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to read it in the NIV. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 11. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so tonight is lesson six of the Beatitudes, which means we have one more week to go, and that this one tonight is more challenging than the previous five. Yay! All right. So last week, we studied the call of Jesus to be pure in heart. And we made the point that this was not a call to perfection. That is not what Jesus is asking of us, thank God. But this idea was that we continue to strive for inward holiness. That it is what we see David modeled throughout the book of Psalms. Him continually asking God to examine his heart, to cleanse his heart. And that is the model that Jesus is referring to here. And so we understand that according to Jesus, when our hearts are pure... We will not only see God in the life to come, that is in eternity, but when our hearts are pure, when we're working at that in our lives on a regular basis, we have the ability to see God right now. And I need to see him. We want to see him right now, don't we? Amen. And we talked about specifically seeing God in nature, seeing God in the scripture, seeing God in the church, all very important to our spiritual growth and development. And so each of these assignments that we've gone over in the Beatitudes come with a profound promise. And as we have seen, each Beatitude has a promise that is unique to it. Each one is different. Each one speaks to the core of what it means to live in a sinful, fallen world. Each beatitude cuts to the core of what it means to be a selfish, carnal human being. And Jesus invites us through the beatitudes to get over that junk and come up higher where he is. Amen. I have a powerful quote for you this week by Reverend Oswald Chambers, and we've got it on the screen for you. The Beatitudes seem merely mild and beautiful precepts. We soon find, however, that they contain the dynamite of the Holy Ghost. They explode like a spiritual mine when the circumstances of our life require them to do so. And oh, isn't that true? This list is just so beautiful and makes you feel good. Yes, God, amen. And then you get in a situation where you need to be merciful. You get in a situation where meekness is the order of the day. And it is dynamite in your soul saying, oh, God, I can't live up to that. I'm just me. That's what we're experiencing every week. And Jesus is helping us. And he will continue to help us as we look at yet another stick of dynamite. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, that says, 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And again, I say to you, my Calvary family, the teaching of Jesus here has never been more needed and has never been more relevant in the world that we are living in. This world, this culture that we're a part of needs people committed to peace. This world needs people working and living among them that possess the peace of God in their lives. We need, everyone needs, the Prince of Peace. Jesus says here that those who are identified with peace are his children. That those who walk in it and live with it belong to his family. Peace is more than a form of association with Christ. Peace is a form of identification with Christ, according to Jesus. Jesus also said that love would be the way that the world would know that we are his disciples. But there is an interesting distinction in what Jesus is saying here. Because it moves us beyond just being followers of Christ. But peacemaking puts us in even closer proximity to Jesus. Peacemaking identifies us as being a part of God's family. And I find that compelling. In my simple mind, I consider this by comparing it to what identifies us as members of our natural families. Now, every family has common characteristics Inherited traits that are either celebrated or debated or challenged in some way, depending on what that character trait is. Some families are known for their competitiveness. Others might be known for musical talent or superior intelligence. Families have a personality, so to speak. And one of the things that I have enjoyed most about being a parent is watching these things develop and exhibit themselves in my three darling girls. We've been blessed to be able to raise our children near family, and it's really humorous to me to watch members of the same family notice these character traits in the next generation, and the commentary is quite interesting. And even though my girls were young when uh, we lost my dad, he had each of them pegged pretty well from a young age. He spent a lot of time with them, so it was easy for him to see what family traits were already visible. Some physical traits um, are visible while others are just related to our personality. But to be sure, not all the things that we identify as family characteristics are positive things. In our situation, it remains to be seen who will wear the um, smart aleck crown. But I'm really close to bestowing that upon a young child that you need to pray for. And I hear you, mother, you reap what you sow. I know it's all true, but it is an inherited trait, I'm afraid. But this is the stuff of family gatherings, isn't it? This child looks like this person. They have the same laugh. They get their temper from them. You know what I'm talking about. And so when Jesus says that peacemakers are his kids, 
I feel really challenged by that. Not just because I want to understand what it means to be a peacemaker. What is required, Jesus? Give me the minimum requirements. But that term itself is very interesting. I want people to be able to identify me with Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying that this is one of the ways that they will do that. And so while this is a simple and an obvious statement in some ways, there's a lot for us to prayerfully ponder tonight. And so I want to consider with you these three questions. Number one, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? Number two, what does the Bible say about peace? And number three, and I would say most important, what does the Bible say about Jesus in relation to peace? So our first question is the one we're going to spend the most time on because we need the most help in this area. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Well, first, according to Jesus, we have to be pure in heart. Remember, the latter represents the progression that we start at the bottom with the realization of how awful we are without Jesus in our lives, that we're sorrowful for our sins. We are truly repentant as we reach to God in this way. And that repentance leads us to tremendous hunger and thirst for more of God. And as we experience the grace and love of God, as we're going up this ladder towards Jesus and all that he is, we experience the mercy of God in such a way that we in turn become merciful, we in turn become meek, and then we become pure in heart. And now, finally, we can begin to try to be a peacemaker And so through this lifestyle that we talked about last week of purity, being quick to repent, being quick to forgive, our next step according to Jesus is to make peace. And so this progression from purity to peace is actually referred to in some other verses in the Bible written by James in his letter. And I want to look at those with you quickly. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. And I want you to watch as you will see in, this, in these two verses, several of the Beatitudes are referred to together. It's very interesting. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Look, there's the order for us. Gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Oh man. In Jesus' teaching, we understand that we are not to simply carry the peace of God in our hearts, but that we should carry it in such a way that we bring it into every situation and every environment that we find ourselves. That his work in our lives is not to remain within us. 
Rather, it should be visible in our lives. Our efforts to follow Jesus more closely should always be identifiable by other people. James calls it the fruit of righteousness. Paul called it the fruit of the Spirit. And interesting for us, peace is, in, peace is included in both sets of scriptures. Fruit is not just visible, but it is identifiable. And so I'm going to give you another quote, not by Chambers or Spurgeon, but by our very own Bishop Norman R. Pasley II, my holy father, as he taught me to say as a young child. And here it is. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. You may be seated. There are many things that my dad said that I remember. He was a wordsmith. Words were his life, right, Kate? He was the king of one-liners and quips. He was witty. He was hysterical. And God help you if you were on the other side of an argument with him, for you would be destroyed verbally. And I remember this quote very well because it was directed at me. I've alluded to this already in this series, but I am the oldest of four daughters, and I am your typical compliant firstborn. I just want peace. That's all I've ever wanted in life because I had a sister who shall remain nameless, but those of you who have been at Calvary for a long time will know right away who I'm talking about. I had a sister in close proximity to me who was the opposite of everything that I was as a child. She cared nothing for peace. She cared nothing for compliance. <laughs> Rules were laughable. Discipline was not scary. I was always more scared for her than she was. And so that meant that I was often dominated by her and controlled by her because I just wanted peace. I remember pleading with her as a child, you'll get in trouble. Please don't do that. And she would laugh like, who cares? And so I would do my best to keep peace at all times. And so my dad's quip that day gave me insight into Jesus' teaching then that still continues to challenge me and my natural inclinations. And I know I'm not the only one that struggles in this way. Because peacekeeping is so much easier in the short term. But as I've grown, I've realized that the fruit of it only adds to the problem. In fact, it multiplies the problem over time. I'm sure some of you have learned that as I have. Peacemaking is really hard in the short term because it requires more effort. And most importantly, it requires humility to do it the way Jesus would ask us to do it. In fact, Jesus spends more time on this idea of peacemaking in the same chapter we've been studying all these weeks. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to drop down to verses 23 through 25. Jesus said, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. And go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. 
Jesus is letting us know that this peacemaking thing is a big deal to him. It's a greater priority as far as he, can, as he is concerned than maybe it is in our minds. Because what Jesus is saying is, if you find yourself at the altar giving an offering, making a commitment to the Lord, worshiping God, as wonderful as all of those things are that we do at the altar, Jesus said, if while you're doing it, it comes to your mind that you have a conflict with someone that is unresolved, leave the altar and go fix it. Oh my, this peacemaking thing is a big deal to Jesus Christ and he wants us to know that. And so in Philippians 4, Paul calls out two women and implores them to make peace in his letter. Now, I love this. I don't know if it's because I came from an all-girl family or what, but these two women had created such a problem in the Philippian church that Paul had to address it before he signed off. Women are powerful. I'm just saying, it's up to us to use our power for good. And so, the mighty apostle Paul writes, I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Come on, girls, get it together. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So I looked up the phrase, same mind in the Lord, to make sure that its meaning was consistent with making peace. And guess what? It is. It means to be harmonious. That sounds like peace. Paul didn't say they had to agree with each other. He didn't say, argue till somebody wins and then move on. He didn't even say, hug it out, you guys. You go to the same church. Paul said, ladies, break it up and work it out. Which is really hard to do. Be harmonious. I think about that word harmony. As glorious as pure, perfect harmony is, if one person is off, it is agony. Right, Holly? Nails on a chalkboard. And isn't it true that that kind of peace and harmony, both people, all people involved, have to be working together towards the same goal, doing the right thing. David talked about it when he talked about unity, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together. In unity, And so I want to point out three things very quickly to add to our understanding here in Philippians 4. That number one, these women were both in the church. It wasn't us versus the outsiders. And so it's important for us to understand that we won't always agree with each other. Just because we're saved does not mean that we'll see eye to eye on everything, not even politics. Just leave that there. Number two, these women were in ministry together. Paul lets us know they were on his team. They were doing God's work together, so they weren't strangers. 
They had the same priorities, the same level of involvement in the church. And then number three, Paul called the church to help in reconciling these two women. That our ability or inability to make peace with each other affects the whole body of Christ. And so we need to work together to make peace among ourselves because that's what Paul was asking the Philippian church to do. And so peacemaking requires effort. It requires humility. It requires vulnerability. Keeping the peace seems so much easier, and that's why we default to it naturally. And so as we land the plane here for app time tonight, I want to quickly look at the answer to the two other questions that we pose to you tonight by reading verses together, because that will help us more than anything, okay? What does the Bible say about peace? Here we go. Psalms chapter 4, verse 8. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Psalms 29, 11 says, The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Amen. Psalms 34, verse 14. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. We love that word around here. Psalms 119, verse 65, great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Isaiah 32, verse 17, the work of righteousness will be peace. That's what James said. That's what Paul said. Romans 12, verse 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Wow. Is that even possible? I guess it is. Romans 4.19, therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Those are strong verses. All right, and finally, what does the Bible say about Jesus in relation to peace? Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, but wait, there's more, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Isaiah 53, verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. I love this verse, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. John chapter 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Romans chapter 5 verse 1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 14 I love this one too, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Praise God, as in all churches of the saints. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14, for he himself is our peace. Amen. He is a God of peace. He wants us to have peace. And he wants us to be ambassadors 
of peace in the world. Amen. And so for app time, I've got a question for you that's going to require maybe a little bit of time. Name a time when you kept peace instead of making peace. And if you don't want to talk to your spouse, you have my permission to switch it up and find somebody else. And so as you're explaining this scenario, if you feel really comfortable, tell the person you're talking to why you kept peace instead of making it in the situation. Why you think you did that. All right? This is going to be fun. Here we go. We've got time. So let's talk to each other. This sounds like a hot topic out there. All right, make peace. Let's come together now. Just kidding. I invite you to stand with me. I'm going to read uh, just part of one more verse. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 12 says, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. The Lord speaks in this verse of peace being like a river, not a lake. A river flows out from the source, and a lake is contained, and it offers no benefit to anything outside of itself. And so that imagery of river relating to peace, I think, is very, very powerful because it illustrates, I believe, what Jesus is teaching here, that the peace that you and I can have and should have, as we've read in the scripture, peace that we should be pursuing in everything. The Bible is very clear, says it over and over again, that when that's at work in our lives, it should flow like a river does to every part of who we are, every circumstance that we find ourselves in. Jesus is calling us to carry that part of who he is in every area of our lives. And sometimes that takes effort that is uncomfortable. Jesus was very committed to speaking the truth to people. He had uncomfortable conversations with the people closest to him. And we all see as we read the Gospels, they were better for those confrontations. They were better for those moments of, of honesty that we don't have to compromise truth for the sake of loving people. And we don't have to compromise love for the sake of telling the truth to people. The Bible says that we speak the truth in love. 
And so when we look at this model that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 5, it is very specific to let us know how important it is to the Lord that we live peaceably with each other, that we don't just suck it up and take it and keep it within us. But Jesus knows that it's not only for our benefit, but for the benefit of the church as a whole, to our families, the people around us, people at our work maybe, that we make peace as God's children. And so I think it's obvious that we need to pray. That God would help us make peace. Some of us struggle with the whole confrontation thing. Some of us struggle with just peace in general. We're like, guns blazing, let's go! Let's have it out. That's not what Jesus is talking about either, just to be clear. So let us pray together that the Lord will help us as we reach for this next step on the ladder in preparation for the last one, which is going to be really, really tough. But the Lord wants to help us. He's promised through this teaching that he will help us. He's offered us promises that he will be with us and that we will be more like him as a result. So let's pray together tonight. Lord, I love you and I thank you, God, for the peace that you've brought into my life, the peace that I've experienced, God, in the darkest of times. And so, God, I understand because your word says so much about peace that it is your desire that I not only have it in my heart, but that I live my life in such a way that I share that peace with other people. And even more than that, God, that I bring it with me into every situation, every environment that I'm in, that if I am to be identified with you as part of your family, then I am a peacemaker. And so, God, you know where all of us fall on the spectrum on this topic. God, some of us are maybe too comfortable with just the idea of confrontation and having difficult conversations because we don't do it the way that you've asked us to. And so, God, give us the meekness and the mercy, Lord, that you've already shared with us in this teaching, God. But for those of us, God, that maybe struggle, we're timid, we're fearful, God, of what our honesty and, and maybe a certain discussion might bring to us, God, would you just help us? Would you just assure us that you always want what's best for us, that your way is always better than the way that we want to handle things? God, we want to honor you in every area of our lives. And God, we know that our relationships with each other are very important to you. And so God, help us to grow. Help us to do better. Help us to be identified as your children through the peace that we make with those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.